Beloved congregation, we have been privileged to consider David's amazing confession of faith. A a confession in which he used an analogy with which he was so very familiar himself. At the end of his life, he reflected on how remarkably the Lord had cared for him. And he recognized that the Lord had been his shepherd and how the Lord had cared for him. And then he spelled out for us, within the context of that analogy, the many ways in which the Lord cared for him and for his spiritual well-being. And that's why we have said that's why this psalm has always been the favorite of God's children. This psalm ultimately is the confession of faith of all God's children. All God's children by grace may say, The Lord is my shepherd, and therefore I shall not want. And so we have seen how Jehovah, ultimately Christ, who is Jehovah in the flesh, how Christ leads us time and again into the green pastures of his word. How he leads us beside the still waters. How he uses his word to restore our soul, to refresh our soul, to revive us, to strengthen us time and again. And how he unerringly leads us in the paths of righteousness. The paths laid out by God. Ultimately, that pathway in which Christ conforms us to himself. Because that is the goal of all of those paths of righteousness. Those are the ways in which we die to ourselves. Those are the ways in which we grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Those are the ways in which we are conformed increasingly to the image of Christ. Because ultimately, that is the purpose of our predestination. Predestined, Paul says, predestined to be conformed to the image of God's only begotten Son. And we saw that, therefore, there will be those times that those paths of righteousness will lead through the valley of the shadow of death. That at times Christ will lead us through difficult and unsettling and perplexing ways. Will lead us in ways in which we no longer see the shepherd, no longer feel the shepherd, and yet still hear the shepherd. Ways in which the shepherd trains us to trust him by what he says, to trust his word at all times, even when we go through the valley of the shadow of death. And when David thought about all that he had been through, and he had been through many difficult experiences, think about this whole situation with Absalom. What a, what a deep valley of death, shadow of death that was for David. And yet when he reflected on his life, at the end of his life, He could say, but one thing I realize now is that my shepherd was always with me. Thou art with me. Thy rod rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The rod and the staff, which are symbolic of the shepherd's commitment to his sheep, his commitment to defend them against their enemies with the rod, his commitment to guide them, to pick them up by using his staff. And last week we saw how that shepherd would ultimately, through that valley, bring his sheep to those lush grazing ground high up in the mountains, and how he would literally there prepare for them a table in the presence of their enemies, and how we, during that season in the summer, how he would minister to their needs, how he would anoint their heads with oil and keep them from the Uh, the pesky flies that would often bite them, and how he would provide for them cups that ran over with water as a beautiful illustration again 
of how loving the care of Christ is for his people. As an illustration that Christ is a shepherd, Christ is a savior whose desire it is to bless his people abundantly. I have come that they might have life. We read it together from 1 John 10. I have come that they might have life and they might have it abundantly. It is Christ's desire, just like the shepherd, it is Christ's desire that his people would flourish, that his people would prosper, that his people would experience the joy of his salvation. And then he comes to the conclusion, as we would say today, to the bottom line. And we could say that that bottom line, that final verse of Psalm 23, is the application of the entire psalm. And so in light of everything that he has said about this wonderful shepherd, he then ends with this confident confession. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so in this verse, we have David's concluding observation regarding Jehovah, regarding his shepherd. Two simple points. He, first of all, says these wonderful words about the goodness and mercy of Jehovah. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And secondly... He speaks of the future in Jehovah's house. Or we would say he speaks of his ultimate homecoming. So in summary, we could say that David is saying here, this shepherd who has cared for me in all those ways, he will take care of me all the days of my life and he will ultimately bring me home. So first of all, then, we will focus on Jehovah's goodness and mercy. And so if we, if we embrace the explanation of Psalm 23 of a number of commentators that the entire psalm speaks of the shepherding care, then if we follow that analogy that there comes a time that the shepherd has to take his flock back down to the valley for the winter time. Because the winter would come, and then, of course, it would no longer be a good place for the sheep to be on those high uh, mountain uh, tableaus, those plateaus. And so the shepherd knew that to really care for his sheep, he would ultimately have to bring them home. That's the analogy that we see here. And so the day would come that the shepherd would gather his flock, he would call his sheep by name, they recognize his voice, and then they would begin to make their way down back to the valley, back to their home. And there are some commentators who um, suggest, and I guess sometimes commentators borrow analogies from each other. Uh, again, that struck me this week. But a number of them uh, relate the story of an old Scottish shepherd who feared the Lord, a godly man. And he had two sheepdogs. And he called them goodness and mercy. And why did he call them goodness and mercy? It's because what those sheep would do, because the, the, that Scottish shepherd also in the summer, or towards the end of the summer, would bring his sheep from the highlands and would bring them down below. And those sheepdogs, they played a very important role in that. Because those sheepdogs, they kept the flock together. As the flock would go down, as the shepherd would lead his flock, the sheepdogs would follow the flock and make sure that none of them would stray and would make sure that the flock stayed together. Their goal was that the, the entire flock would stay close to the shepherd. And this godly shepherd couldn't help but think of Psalm 23. Couldn't help but think of our text, that goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of, those life, of my life. 
That's what those sheepdogs did. They followed the sheep. They followed them until they reached their home base. And really, what a beautiful analogy that is. Of course, all analogies ultimately fail. Because in reality, the beautiful thing is about our Lord Jesus Christ is that not only is, does he lead us as our shepherd, and are we called to follow him, but he also follows us. He leads us and he follows us. Or we, we could say it this way, he completely surrounds us with his loving, shepherding care. And that's what impressed David so much when he, when he reflected on his life. He knew himself. That when he was a young man, he knew what a committed shepherd he had been. He knew how much he had loved his sheep. He knew that he had been engaged day and night in caring for his sheep. And he realized, this is my God. My Jehovah has been that kind of a shepherd for me. And dear believer, that's the kind of shepherd you have. A shepherd who is engaged in your care day and night. A shepherd who never sleeps and slumbers. A shepherd who cares for you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. A shepherd who is absolutely committed to your well-being, just like this shepherd was. And who you'd use those two dogs to keep the flock together. Because as they would descend from the mountain back to the valley... There was the ever-present danger that an animal of prey would yet get one of them. The, the, the sheep were always in danger in that sense. As I've said multiple times now, that's why sheep could not survive without a shepherd. Sheep would perish without a shepherd. They would go astray without a shepherd. But a good shepherd, a good shepherd was so engaged and so used those sheepdogs that were specially trained to keep and protect his sheep and to bring them all the way home. A congregation, so it is with us. If it weren't for the shepherd caring for us, also in the future that yet comes, we would yet perish. But the beautiful truth that is expressed also in this verse, is that this shepherd will never abandon us. This shepherd will never forsake the work of his own hands. He that has begun a good work in us, Paul says in Philippians 1, he will finish it. And that's what David realized. He realized that the care of his shepherd, the care of his Jehovah, would encompass his entire life. And he focuses here on two of the attributes of Jehovah, the goodness and the mercy of Jehovah. Now, boys and girls, what do we mean by attributes? Well, attributes is something that describes something. Okay, So when I say that these benches are brown, then the word brown is an attribute, something that describes what that bench looks like. And so God in his mercy has revealed his attributes in his words. And he has done that so that we would have an understanding of who he is. It's like watching a rainbow. You know, after there's been a powerful storm in the summer, and then often against that black background, when the sun begins to shine, suddenly we see this magnificent rainbow. Suddenly we realize that the light that shines upon us is made up of seven beautiful colors. And that gives us a whole new appreciation for that light. And those colors only become visible by means of that unique arrangement that literally reveals to us the beauty of that light. And so it is with God. God is light. But God has been pleased to reveal himself to us. And we can actually simply say that ultimately the Lord Jesus Christ is that prism. A prism is, boys and girls, some of the older ones may know this, a prism is a, a triangular piece of glass. 
It's uniquely designed that when you shine light on a prism, you see, all of a sudden, you see the seven colors of the rainbow. That prism allows us to see what normally we cannot see. So the prism actually is a means that reveals to us the seven colors that make up light. And so, of course, when the sun shines on a storm cloud, all those rain droplets, they serve as little prisms, and that's why we see the seven colors of the rainbow. And so we may say that the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal and living Word of God, is God's appointed prism. It is in Him that we see the beauty of His character. It is in Him that we see the beauty of all of His attributes. And two of those attributes are mentioned here. The goodness and the mercy of God. The goodness of God. That's actually a a word in Scripture that gives us the sum total of God's being. God is infinitely good. It's actually interesting that in the English language, there's a real connection between the word God and good. They are intimately connected linguistically because God is the essence of all that is good. Article 1 of the Belgian Confession says it so beautifully. When it describes God, if you read that article over, it gives us a few of those attributes of God, and it ends by saying that God is an overflowing fountain of good. And when David reflected on his life, he was so humbled when he saw in so many ways how God had manifested his goodness towards him how God had provided for him, how God had cared for him, how God had protected him. And that's the story of every believer. Every believer can testify of the goodness of God, the goodness of God that God has manifested to us over and over again. That goodness that is manifested in all that God does, not only to provide for our temporal needs, but all that He does for our spiritual good. That's His overarching goal in all of His ways. God is always aiming at our spiritual good. He is aiming at our spiritual prosperity. But it's remarkable that in connection with that goodness, He also speaks of The mercy of God. Now that's a very rich word. The word, the mercy of God. And I will repeatedly explain this to you whenever the occasion arises, but let me briefly do it here. Whenever we read in the Bible about mercy, and whenever we read about grace, we must immediately, immediately realize that we are talking about that which is not merited that which excludes all human merit. In other words, when the Bible talks about the mercy and the grace of God, it talks about the goodness of God, but it emphasizes that that goodness that God manifests to us is utterly undeserved. So you might ask, what, is there any difference between the word mercy and grace? Yes and no. Both of them are the manifestation of God's undeserved favor towards sinners. But the the focus of God's mercy is on the wretchedness of our condition as sinners. And the focus of God's grace is on our guiltiness of sinners. So we could say that the grace of God is God's unmerited goodness towards guilty sinners... And the mercy of God is God's unmerited favor towards wretched sinners. And so the two belong intimately together. But I want to go a little bit further than that to grasp the beauty and the riches, the gospel that's really encapsulated in the word mercy and grace. Not only is it God's unmerited favor, but congregation, it is God's 
forfeited favor. We forfeit that favor every single time. Every time we sin, we forfeit the favor of God. So not only are we not worthy of it, we forfeit that favor. But I want to go a step further yet. Ultimately, when we read about the mercy and the grace of God, we are reading about the goodness of God which He bestows on us in this way, that He grants us the exact opposite of what we deserve. That's what grace and mercy are. God giving us the very opposite of what we deserve. We deserve God's wrath. We deserve condemnation. We deserve to be utterly rejected by Him for our sin. And yet God bestows on us the exact opposite of what we deserve. And all of that, of course, is connected to the cross of Christ. How can God bestow on you and me the exact opposite of what we deserve? It's because on Calvary's cross, God bestowed on His Son the opposite of what He deserved. He was sinless. He was holy. He was harmless. He was undefiled. And yet, God treated him as the very chief of sinners. God poured out his wrath upon his son, bestowing upon him the opposite of what he deserved. And because of that sacrifice, God can bestow on us the very opposite of what we deserve. And congregation, when David reflects on his life, he realizes that this is my story. This is your story. This is my story. Is that the goodness and the mercy have followed me all the days of my life. Boys and girls, you know that things didn't always go well in David's life. You know that David had sinned greatly at various times. David not only made himself unworthy of God's goodness, but he forfeited it. Think of what he did with Bathsheba and all that pertained to it. And yet at the end of his life, David realized, God has given me the very opposite of what I deserve. His goodness and His mercy have followed me all the days of my life. A congregation. But that also gave him confidence. The confidence of knowing that what God had done in his life thus far, God would continue to do the rest of his days. And there's another dimension here in that wonderful word, mercy. Because even though our English translation has mercy, it could be translated as loving kindness. It's that, that powerful word of Scripture, he said, that so intimately is connected to Jehovah's covenant name. That means that God will always be true to himself. He will always be loyal to his people. As the great shepherd of his sheep, he will always be loyal to them. Nothing they can do will ever change that commitment. That greatly humbled and that greatly encouraged him. That unwavering commitment. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. What an amazing reality, congregation. That God not only guides and directs us, but that he, he pursues us. That's the word, actually, in Hebrew. He pursues us. He, he stays right with us. He follows us. He surrounds us with his goodness and with his mercy. And so he, throughout our lifetime, he gives us pardoning mercy, preserving mercy, protecting mercy, Sustaining mercy, supplying mercy, goodness and mercy have followed us until this very moment. 
And therefore he can say, surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So here you see how David, how he looks at his past. How he recognized that this goodness and mercy of God had followed him. And that gave him confidence also for the future. Think of how God cared for his people in the wilderness. In 1 Corinthians 10 verse 4, think about, as, we, as I read this text, think about our text here this morning. And then Paul, Paul writes this as he reflects on Israel's history. And did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Christ followed them. We often think of the manna. And that, of course, was an amazing, miraculous supply. You think about it, that God sustained a nation of at least two and a half million people, and then all the animals, he sustained them in an environment that was utterly hostile to life. He sustained them in the wilderness. And he gave them bread from heaven. His goodness towards them, literally, God's goodness rained down on them every day. But he also supplied water for them. That rock which is just as miraculous. Somehow that rock followed them. And there was a sufficient supply of water to sustain two and a half million people and their animals. So God's care was extraordinary. He dwelt among them. They had the visible reminder of his presence, the cloudy pillar by day and the fiery pillar by night. And he dwelt in their midst in the tabernacle. And he provided food from heaven And Christ followed them. The rock followed them. That's the story of God's children. That is the story of God's people. That's our story, dear believer, dear child of God. And so David realized that God's past care for him and his care for him today was his guarantee for the future. Because, dear believer, your and my shepherd, your and my shepherd is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Oh, our shepherd has a flawless record, a flawless record of caring for his children. In 2 Corinthians 1 verse 10, Paul expresses it so beautifully as well. He says this, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. He has delivered us, he does deliver us, and he will deliver us because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's why Jesus said to his people in Luke 12, verse 32, and it's so applicable here as well, fear not, little flock, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's what, I'm, that's what I may say to you this morning. On behalf of the great shepherd, I may say to you this morning, oh, my people, stop and consider who I have been for you. Stop and consider how I have cared for you. Stop and consider how my goodness and how my mercy have followed you all the way until this hour. And and therefore, because I am the unchangeable I am that I am, that's, of course, in that wonderful name, Lord, the unchangeable I am that I am, therefore, I will deliver you today and I will deliver you also in the future. And of course, that's expressed by by these words, all the days of my life. What a beautiful truth that is. All the days of your life. And God only knows how many days are left. God knows the precise length of our journey. And for each child of God, it is true 
that God only allows us to be here as long as is strictly necessary. Our journey continues until we have accomplished the purpose for which God has put us here on this earth. And when that purpose is accomplished, that means that we have come to the end of all of our days determined by God. But the comforting truth is that while we are here, that we can have confidence that though we do not know what those remaining days will be, though we do not know what those remaining days will bring, yet we can have absolute confidence that this shepherd who has cared for you until this hour, that shepherd will provide for you and he will guide you, as Psalm 48 says, he will guide you even unto death. All the days of our life. And those remaining days will be days that will be stained by sin. They will be days in which we will fail because we do not cease to be a sinner until we breathe our last breath. But all the days, no matter what shall yet befall us, no matter what sin we might yet commit, what failure might yet be ours, no matter what trials might yet come our way, or what sickness we might have to endure, or what sorrow will come upon us, Your shepherd will take care of all of those days, whatever those days may bring. He will take care of all of those days until we end our journey. That's why Jesus admonishes us in Matthew 6. He says, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. But commit yourself to me. Commit your life to me. Tomorrow will take care of itself. As if to say, leave tomorrow be for what it is. Because even though we do not know what tomorrow brings, but one thing we know with certainty, one thing David was confident of, that also in his tomorrows, Jehovah would be his shepherd. And therefore, he would not want He knew that what Jehovah had done for him all the days of his life, he would do also during the remaining days of his life until, until the shepherd brings us home. That's why Paul writes in 2 Timothy 4 verse 18, listen carefully, he says, And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom. And so it was. A good shepherd would not lose one of his sheep. A good shepherd with well-trained dogs would bring the entire flock down home, down to their home base. And so David here says, and therefore, therefore, because The goodness and mercy of God will follow me. Therefore, I am confident that I will ultimately dwell in the house of the Lord forever. May I put it very simply? Dear child of God, dear believer, you who by the grace of God love the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity, you who know this shepherd, who know his voice, and whose desire it is to follow him, let me, tell you, let me say in all simplicity, you are going to make it home. You are going to make it home. The day is coming that you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because you see, dear believer, that is your ultimate destiny. This short life of ours, is but a brief preparation for our ultimate destiny. Dear believer, your real life is still ahead of you. During this short journey of ours, this short time that we're here on earth, God is molding us. He is conforming us to the image of His Son. 
But his ultimate goal is to bring you home, is to bring you to be with himself. And we need to be reminded of that. Because we now live in a very, very prosperous and comfortable culture. In former ages, when life was difficult, also for God's children, promises like that would greatly revive their souls. Now we have become so comfortable in this life that far too little do we focus on our ultimate goal, our ultimate destiny. And that's why the shepherd often has to lead us in ways in which he weans us from this present world. In my first congregation in Jordan, Ontario, I had a dear man in my congregation, very successful businessman, and he was stricken with cancer. And he was stricken with cancer. And he was honest enough to say, he said, but pastor, I'm, I'm not ready to leave yet. I like it here. He was honest. I like it here. But then I saw how during his illness, how the Lord weaned him, weaned him from this present life, weaned him from his successful business and made him long to go home and to be delivered from the body of this death. Oh, dear believer, do you long to go home? Are there those times that you are so tired of yourself, so tired of sin, so tired of this broken world? But ultimately, do you have an intense desire to be forever with your shepherd? Because that's the future that awaits the people of God. We have a future ahead of us where we shall forever be with our shepherd. Where our shepherd will forever dwell in our midst. And that was, of course, beautifully symbolized by the house of the Lord. In David's days, of course, initially, that was the tabernacle of Israel that dwelt at Nob. And true Israelites, they loved the house of the Lord. They loved to come to the house of the Lord. True Israelites that feared the Lord, they would be there for the morning and evening sacrifice. They would, they would wait for the priest to pronounce God's blessing upon them. That's why Anna, we read about Anna, she never departed from the house of God. Being in the house of God was the central event of her life. Her whole life revolved around it. Open your Bibles to Psalm 27 verse 4. Let's read how David felt about the house of the Lord. Psalm 27 verse 4. This is beautiful language, congregation. In light of this text, he says, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Why? To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So when David would come to the tabernacle, and when the godly would come to the temple, they didn't just see a structure but they beheld the beauty of Jehovah. They saw in that structure God's revelation of himself. And of course, all of that pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in Christ, God has revealed the beauty of his being. God has revealed the beauty of his heart. Congregation, boys and girls, do you ever come to church that way? Do you ever come to church with that desire that you get up on Sunday morning and that you can say, Lord, one thing I have desired and that is to be in thy house. I want to be in thy house today because I want to see thy beauty revealed not only in his word but revealed especially in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Christ is the brightness of God's glory, the express image of his person. Christ is the one who said of himself, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And for the true believer, how beautiful Christ is. 
And the more we know of Him, the more beautiful He becomes. And the more we see His beauty, the more we long to see more of it. Did you come to God's house this morning with that prayer in your heart? Lord, let me see the beauty of the Lord in thy house today. That's what David longed for. That's why the psalmist of Psalm 84, he was jealous of the sparrows. He said, the sparrows, they have a place in thy house. Oh, oh, that I could be in thy house. And of course, really, the tabernacle and the temple were a picture of what the eternal reality will be. Because what both the temple and the tabernacle symbolized was God literally dwelling in the midst of his people. And in Hebrews 8, where the apostle is referring to all this, he calls it a pattern of the heavenlies. So what is the glorious reality that awaits the people of God? What is that glorious home to which we are traveling, that glorious future that awaits us? Is that we will dwell as God's redeemed people. We will forever dwell on this entirely renewed earth. And the beauty is that Christ, as our Emmanuel, will forever walk among us. He will forever dwell in our midst. He will forever tabernacle in our midst. And as God's redeemed people, we will forever behold the beauty of the Lord in our Emmanuel, who will dwell among us. That's the future that awaits the people of God. Do you ever long for that? Because if you don't know Christ, what would you do there? As you well know, you've heard it countless times, the godly Samuel Rutherford said, Christ is heaven's heaven. Christ is heaven's heaven. If Christ were not there, heaven would not be heaven. What makes heaven heaven is that he is there. Now, the wonderful and comforting truth is that, dear believer, He has gone before you, your Savior, your Redeemer, your Shepherd, your Emmanuel. He has gone before you to do what? Turn with me to John 14 in your Bibles. John 14, verses 2 and 3. John 14. And let's read it in in the context of this passage. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And receive you unto myself. And then listen to these words that were, I am. There ye may be also. That were, I am. There ye may be also. And so, dear child of God, your shepherd has gone on high. And there is a reservation with your name on it. There is a mansion up there that is reserved for you. And so because he has gone before us, this will not fail. Because he, the head, has gone before the body. Where the head is, the body must once be. Where he is, we shall once be. He will once receive us unto himself that where he is, that we may be there also. That's the future that awaits the people of God. Peter writes about this as well when he writes about this wonderful inheritance that awaits the children of God. He calls it an inheritance, 1 Peter 1 verse 4, incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Reserved in heaven for you. That's why I said, If by the grace of God you may be a child of God, a true believer in Christ, there's a reservation that has your name on it. 
And this is a reservation that is absolutely guaranteed by the blood of Christ. This is a reservation that cannot be canceled. And so, dear believer, because of that Savior who left his father's house and who came into the world to give himself as a sacrifice for your sin, who was abandoned by his father on the cross because of that sacrifice, there is a reservation in your name that's guaranteed and guaranteed by his perfect work, guaranteed by his sacrifice. And so his presence at the Father's right hand is the guarantee of your homecoming. That's why I said, dear believer, you are going to make it home. Your shepherd will not allow you to perish. He will not rest until he brings you home. As a matter of fact, John 17 tells us that he is interceding at the Father's right hand. And I'm paraphrasing, Father, I will that those whom thou hast given me, that they may be where I am, that they may behold my glory. There you have it again. That they may be where I am, that they may behold my glory. And so, dear, dear believer, your shepherd is longing for your homecoming, longing to bring you home, longing to bring you to himself where he is. Longing to bring you to that place where you shall forever behold his glory. That's the future that awaits the people of God. In Hebrews 6, the apostle says, verse 19 and 20, which hope, he says, we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Listen carefully. Whether the forerunner is for us entered. On our behalf, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And therefore, dear believer, let's continue to run the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, our shepherd, who is the author and who is the finisher of our faith, and it's beautiful that this psalm begins with the name Lord and it ends with the name Lord. That magnificent name, God's gospel name, that name that overflows with the good pleasure of God. And so Jesus said himself in Revelation, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and I am the ending. That's why Paul could say, he that has begun a good work in you he is going to finish. Christ will not allow any of his sheep to perish. His goodness and his mercy will continue to follow you all the days of your life until the moment comes that he will bring you home. And to be with him, as Paul said, to be with him is far better. Oh, my dear congregation, what a litmus test for our spiritual condition. Do you long to be with Christ? Do you long to be delivered from the body of this death? Do you long to be with Him forever? Do you long to behold His glory and His beauty? Or does Psalm 23 mean anything to you yet? Because you see, your life will only end well if this shepherd is your shepherd. That's what we emphasized last week. The only comfort in life and death is to know that Jehovah is my shepherd, that he is my God for Christ's sake. Often my dad would say, son, you can only Live well if you can die well. You can only live well if you can die well. And you can only die well if you know that this Jehovah is your shepherd. If you still are an unbeliever, if you're still unconverted, 
then we have to say that the reason you're here is because God's mercy and God's goodness are pursuing you as well. They have been pursuing you all the days of your life. And therefore, that shepherd still proffers peace and pardon. That shepherd still welcomes you. That shepherd still promises you that he will make you part of his flock. That shepherd who came to seek and to save that which is lost. And dear believer, oh, be encouraged. Be encouraged by the wonderful truths expressed in this psalm. The Lord, Jehovah, Jesus Christ, is your shepherd. And therefore, you shall not want. I think of the words of Psalm 144, verse 15 with which I want to end. The last verse of Psalm 144. Happy is that people that is in such a case. Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Our faithful God and Father, how indebted we are to Thee for Thy precious word. That precious word that unveils to us thy beauty in thy beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the glorious revelation of thy divine being, who is the revelation of thy eternal heart of love, who is thy goodness and mercy in the flesh. Oh God, we thank thee for our Emmanuel. We thank thee for this shepherd this marvelous shepherd. And we are grateful for having inspired thy servant David to record this precious psalm. And we pray, Lord, that it would be to the edification and the encouragement of those that fear thee. And that we would be encouraged by what we have considered today, that thy goodness and thy mercy will follow us all the days of our life until the moment comes that thou wilt bring us home to be forever with our shepherd, to be where he is and to behold his glory. Remember us, Father, thou knowest each and every heart. We pray for those who do not yet belong to this shepherd. Oh, that they would seek him yet while he is to be found as he draws so near to us in the gospel. And so bless thy word to everyone gathered here and those who are connected to us via the live stream. Go with us now and gather with us again in this evening hour. We ask it in Jesus' precious name alone. Amen.